welcome to the Story Forward podcast. You're probably used to hearing Christian Wins and Larry Rosen's voices here, but today we have a special episode as well as a special guest host, me, Annika Bennett. I am one of the interns for Story Forward. I've been interning since about May, and as part of my internship, Jared Bostrom, who is the usual editor for this podcast, has been kind enough to provide me with some audio editing training. So I edited this episode and the last episode and co-edited some episodes in this season before that. So thank you, Jared. A little bit about me is that I was born and raised here in Boise. I graduated from Boise High School in May 2020 during the pandemic. And then I started at Boise State in fall 2020, seeking again my degree in creative writing. I've been a longtime fan of Tree Fort and Story Fort and have been going, attending since I was in seventh grade. And I've had the privilege a few times of being involved in Story Fort now, which has been really, really fun. Hopefully you listened to last week's episode with Travis Abels because that was a story that I really enjoyed listening to and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. That was also from Story Fort 2022, just like the content that we're going to bring you today. And actually this content from today was supposed to be paired with the Travis Abels story from last week, but there was just so much content that we decided that it would be better to give what we have today its own special episode. And part of the reason that I get to be your host today is that this content that we have for this episode is from Story Fort 2022's MFA showcase and undergraduate showcase. And I am an undergraduate, and I was in the undergraduate showcase, alongside many wonderful peers from the BFA and the MFA. If you were not there to see it, or if you were and you just wanted to hear it again because it was so fun, you're in the right place. So here we have a mix of fiction, poetry, and nonfiction from the MFA and from the undergrad. So I'm gonna get right into it. I'm going to introduce all of the readers now so that we can just go right through all of them. You can hear all of them back to back. I would like to add as a small note that I am one of the featured readers in this episode and my name was introduced as Annika Benson, but it is Annika Bennett. I just wanted to clarify that now. <laughs> the folks who hosted these events were fantastic. It was Tessie Ward for the MFA showcase and then Hannah Cook and Ryan Marsh for the undergraduate showcase. All of these people are fantastic writers and also fantastic community members. They are all people who make everyone feel so good about themselves and contribute so much to the communities that they involve themselves in. So thank you to those people for helping put on these events and for hosting them. We, we appreciate all of your labor. So today we're going to hear first the MFA showcase, which is going to be Lillian Jenner, followed by Meredith Higgins, both fantastic MFA graduates in poetry at Boise State. And then on the undergraduate side, you're going to hear a fantastic fiction story, a sort of character role play with different fun voices from Katie D'Andrea. And then you're going to hear my poem, Annika Bennett's poem. And then you're going to hear a nonfiction selection from Katie Lotz. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and hear some wonderful fiction and poetry and nonfiction from your MFA students and from your undergrads. Here we go. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for coming. It's so great to see everyone again. Um, this is always my favorite week of the year, so thank you, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, Guru. Thanks, Joe, Storyport, Ryan. Um, we're so happy to have you. All right. Please buckle up for poetry, as we have a little bit today. All right, first, Lillian Jenner. 
Elaine Jenner writes entirely unrequited love letters. She creates in a variety of forms, most prominently metal and paper. She's a 2019 recipient of the Poetics Lab Grant, a 2020 recipient of the Cabinet Writer Relief Grant, and a 2021 recipient of the Alexa Rose Grant. Her master's thesis, Fire Journal, coming out in 2022, for an MFA in poetry at Boise State University, poetically chronicles her experience as a wildland firefighter while physically exploring combustion as a metaphor for grieving. All right. Let's welcome Lilia. Thank you. Tessie, specifically, but everyone. <laughs> um, I'm going to read some poems that I wrote. Not all of them are titles. Dear Master, Dear Whale or Wolf, which could not be explained away, although I write clearly. Dear oval face, the gem and the bezel on the silver wire, not the ring. She would give me a shell which would twist as her fingers could have against my scalp, where my hair would be. Instead of clawing at my back, I would look longingly at my bed, then at her. Dear fantasy, how safe you would be. There would be no ripe fruit to suck on. I would not even be aroused at the idea of an interminable outing. Dear loved one, I wouldn't just want to swim in the river. I would want to drink it. Dear dearest, dear frightened one, who would almost agree with me. Dear absent one, as sensitive as eardrums, as there would be mountains forming around you. Dear remaining one, who would no longer attend funerals. How could you? You didn't ask where. I do have many interesting friends, porn stars, wasps, and hornet's nests, lost flags, wind chimes, and pillars of fire. What's sexy is coming home to everything exactly the way that I left it. You tell me everything about your love, how he looks, how he smells like French toast, and I wonder if you're drunk. Perhaps it's a love I've never wanted. Some women don't know what they want, while men know everything. I'm the illusionist. This one's gummy jobs. That's longer. I was interning at Symphony Space, a theater, but I edited the audio for the radio program, which broadcast from the coat closet. I wore my best outfits for the 90-minute train ride from Bushwick, Brooklyn, to the Upper West Side. And when the doorman bowed and said, Miss Jenner, I sometimes even trouble to curtsy. When I walked into the theater, there were sometimes performers and rehearsals on stage. So I went quietly in my secondhand heels, unless there were dancers for which I would stop, always to witness the gesture of a leg of a foot, as a hand taking two extravagant minutes at most before shuffling through the hallway, sometimes in the nieces of the move of a dancer or relate. Sarah would have seated already in her crinkling skirt and her bed leg into the most comfortable desk at the largest computer with the ergonomic keyboard. Put on her headphones and nod to me as I let myself into the coat closet at the radio broadcasting station. Or sometimes Sarah would say not to come today or to come late, although I had already boarded the train. If I had class in the afternoon and I was interning in the morning, which could require up to four hours in the metro in a day, I'd like to go anyways to the coffee shop on 83rd Street. I think it was 83rd Street and have a cappuccino. I did this until the third time my cart got declined. 
The waiter was very kind, and I had already swallowed my cappuccino. Really, it was an accident. Every time I hadn't known how it had happened, I had run out. I had run out again. And sometimes I would go and buy flowers for arranging, so I thought I could do it professionally. My resume said creative, and I arranged the flowers in a plastic vase under the scrupulous attention of the Russian woman running the flower shop midtown. But she didn't say whether she liked them, me, or not. But she did call when I came back. But it was too busy that day, so she sent me away. And I never became a florist or a florist assistant. I became the personal assistant of an interior designer instead, which paid better. Though on the walk to the train, it started to rain. The sun that got risen meant the rain came down light. The construction that tunnels I could up into, which I sometimes did to smoke a jay with my partner in my 15-minute break at the coffee shop where I learned to make cappuccinos I couldn't afford. Brett would gussy up with wingtip eyeliner heels and NDMA, and my coworker would say, are you attracted to that person? And I would say, am I ever? Or sometimes we would go to Madison Square Garden on my break, which I could see from the window of the flat iron building where I also worked as a blazer copying manuscripts, checking the time and humming. My boss, Albert, Alfred, would come in and ask if I wanted the light on. No, thank you. I could really see just fine, and I felt best that way, in the dark. Brett didn't work, so always looked cute. Tough to keep up with if I had to take multiple trains to work, which I did as long as we lived in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If I worked at nine, my subway crowd was comprised of mostly people that looked like me. I suppose I mean frantic or tired and white, which meant something coming from Brooklyn into Manhattan. It means something most places, and pretty. And because I had strong legs, I opted to stand as long as I didn't have homework due action that day, which was difficult to say the least, standing up wearing heels. How privileged were these problems, I wondered even then. How stupid I felt still breaking the rock water as Brett and I went to dinner, Brett paying at least as much as I had made that day. And how lucky. Yes, I was a waitress too, briefly, and they put me behind the bar, although I was not yet old enough to drink or to wink. I served Greek, Italian, Chinese, Lebanese, and I made all the sandwiches of the Jewish deli. After I was verbally and sexually assaulted by half of my managers, I swore I would never work in the food business again. I switched to the beverage business. I was a nanny for some really good kids and some really rotten ones. I've cleaned houses and boats and Airbnbs. I kissed men for money and I kissed up to them. I've never felt inclined to take my clothes off for money, but I modeled for seven years other people's clothes. Never mind, I have taken my clothes off for money, but it's not what you think. It was, I was art. I'd even stayed with men for money, men had paid to kiss my boots. Person I just paid cards and he won, honestly. We went off into the dog park to search for his black lab, black lab, who had died. When my social anxiety really peaked, I managed phone lines for a private business directory. I tried acting too. People were always giving me their cards, asking if they could represent me, whatever that meant. I rolled up their cards and I smoked them. But then I met Desiree and I met her managing because I liked the sound of Desiree the manager, who got me one audition to play the part of Rocker Girl. I was at the time really trying to learn the drums, my own sticks in hand. I thought I had a shot. I did not. I stopped playing drums when on a solar eclipse roof party for my apartment building, someone told someone that I was the drummer. So, you're the drummer? Was how we met. No, I said, because I knew you could hear me trying to be. I liked working for women, especially women of power who were always awake and always plotting and always gorgeous. How did they do it? I managed their appointments, beauty and all. Yet I feigned sarcasm when my robot boss at the metal shop asked me how long my nails were. I rolled my eyes. Like I know, I'm basically a boy. I showed him my dirty cropped nails as proof. Unfortunate. 
He was designing a metal safe that sensed fingerprints, and he wanted to see if a lady's fingernails would get in the way of her scan to access her money. He was designing the safe for women, or he was designing the safe to include women, some women. He thought that some women would have so much money, they would want the safe to include them. But I was not the kind of woman he had in mind. This is Aesthetic Associations. It's about my mother. How she baked chicken whole, not how she made me. Wonder at the validity of chest pains, my own. Wonder what the doctor would say. If I pointed to my diamond breast, if I pounded and said, this hurts. How she stirred the scrambled eggs in the middle of what stitch she was sewing, of what prayer she was reading. And the eggs she cooked developed from film around the fringe as mine do too. As I'm washing the dishes, as I'm holding my breath, my own count to ten to make the shaking stop. How she, coffee in one hand, cell phone in the other, driving with her knees, asserted proudly. Somehow, simultaneously, to all five of her daughters, including the dead one, including this one, I am and always have been an excellent multitasker. This rug was hers, how she cared for it so that the blue shines through, how well kept it was. She preferred gold to silver, thoughtful to generic, how she wore her hair even. I wore my hair like that. I wore her pants, which were tailored to her, her name sewed into the waist that fit me. How she spoke, and I adopted her Wisconsin accent. How she loved by extinguishing herself. How she lamented. I would have jumped in front of a bus for her, but she didn't ask me to. How she wept efficiently, as if bridled. How she saw the path and kept walking it, not quitting it. How she laughed, showing all of her teeth, not unlike horse. How she shared her salt stories with me, and this was mothering. She called her daughters princess warriors without having princes to compare them to. How she kept old things, expiring things, to make them known again, preserved their privacy. What embroidery she gave them. What fanciful inlet lace. Two more. Sure. Um, this is a darker turn than this one. To unsee all the light. Well, I started spotting red again. But how dead is he? Like, really dead? They're really dead. And then I made the room sad with me. It wasn't very cerulean. But you looked at it in the highest saturation, I suppose, that only your eyes age. Like the liver when it's taken too many Tylenol, not letting go again. Allow me to tell you sonatas some nights. This night, last night, breathing hurricanes. You may name them for women and for men, like a funny gift to the world. So powerful, you could not be assaulted. And so righteous, there was no religion. But there was one, rainstorm, and then another. And you scooted off the dock into the bay. So glad it would swallow you. A southern told history, which in time appeared almost colorless. It was too ready to grieve you, practiced your flute. I was too, we hope you are free now. 
Okay, this is my last one. It's poem, 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 in which I adore Queen Anne. You're Anne, so I adore you. And you're Anne, too, before disembarkment. You're rum, so I adore you. You're what's left. Anne without her horse stables. Anne without her fox braids. What's Anne in a night turned old? What time is Anne if she isn't ancient history? Anne is wartime, wrapping. What's left on Anne's apron, grimacing, is a train hopper, a ticket dodger, catch Anne, no stopping Anne, red mustang Anne, your sun summer, amber Anne, I so adore you Anne, your flimsy wrists support this, your leave taking in the breeze, your heart Anne, Anne, think about your heart Anne, it's pennies, your right to the throat, your position, know your possession, how you rule in a way which rhymes with you, and like a man, and like a place to climb to. You're accidental, and so I adore you too. You're tomorrow swearing in all your checker print to represent you, my commitment to Anne and a high collar zip up, and not swallowing her breath, but holding it in her throat above astronaut, astronaut silver, the bolts that keep Anne together. A button for Anne pinned to my breast. A button for Anne knows it. And I will not pull on you, and I will wait for your orders, and you're taller than you realize. Your smile, and is magnetic. And generations of peasants hurl potato legal soup. Have mercy, and have tomatoes in your garden, juicy because they're yours. And you will never have children, and no, but you could have tomatoes. You could call, and they would come, running, let Go, Anne, let go, for I adore you, and I will punish you. Your butter face, I could eat it with sterling silver, and you're what's left, what's hurting, and for I adore you, and all of your Concord grapes. Please smile, Anne. Your frowning is collapsing all the capitals. And you have gotten so old, so everything's failing, so I adore you, and you're every woman if I were free from. I don't know what I'd do. I'd be bored, and without you, and hire me to steal you. I'm like airplane cables, reliably sure I'm yours.
I become Earth, right? So uh, I relate this that kind of sensation to uh, Christian thinking. I know maybe that was like a like a hard turn. Um, but so I grew up Protestant. Uh, did anyone else have any religious history in their background? I'm just curious how common that is these days. Okay, we're still kind of like halfish or Mormon. Um, so yeah, I grew up Protestant and then left, you know, left faith, faith failed me, came to poetry, poetry was faith, and now I kind of accept both. And the kind of Christianity I subscribe to is essentially that only love has the authority to claim who I am. Uh, so I assembled the poems I'm going to be reading here today uh, under this, you know, under this umbrella of the kind of Christian imagery that sneaks in. Uh, and hopefully in non-alienating ways. I know people have complex histories with the church, uh, and you know, what happened there, how you felt there, and why. Um, but hopefully it's uh, kind of something strange and something new, so. Whining I watch the horses chew and hear my voice in their jaws. I talk about God and my word horse wings. It doubles as a witness. A vanishing gospel cascades in sequences. So normal as to believe its burden. So normal as to be in pain again. Why who I am? Then my body is the blunt side of the language acts. Then I lumber. Lord, my crucifixion in the cabinet. One, one slightly Christian poem, a little bit. But it, yeah, among other, other like obviously spiritual themes, but um, who, who here thinks living is difficult and insufferable at times? Who gets tired of being themselves? Again, really, many? Right, so among spirituality, um, there's like kind of this coping with uh, reality, with living, with the burden uh, that that kind of invokes at times. So here's a poem that's written in conversation with um, a mystic, a German 12th century mystic, Hildegard of Bingen. And she saw visions uh, from, yeah, that she believed were from God and God told her, this is the title of this poem, Cry out therefore and write thus. So, and in this poem, I'm kind of trying to come to terms with like, what about me? What about the normal me that I have to face every day who does not see visions? Yeah. Those of us without visions, are we to feel unfit, unwed, not red-faced women, ill with recompense, nor black angels' wings? and unillumined meteors, fiery in the shadows of lapsed sheets around us. Saint reeks of the bed, we sleep, dream usual dreams. No scaling God's city of turrets, cross-sorted or scrolled, not stood on snake nor coddling lamb, no heads of gray men ever crown us speechless or set to task. Us of simple sight see none, the soul drop and rise, of seasons along seasons, as the spark of each life takes to heaven on smoke. We know, 
our body's angel under blankets, cradle ages of hush in plainness. We rub our eyes to twinkle in our darkness. Thank you. Another thing that comes up, St. Reeks of the Bed, that's like one of the best phrases I've ever written. I think it's just like, um, so this next poem is again a return to the bed and you know beyond eating I kind of feel sensuality is a spiritual space so being in the sheets being near another body you'll see some of that in this poem it's called keeplessness as if anything has chosen our love of color our sacramental garments soak we coat our bed in breathing clothes we touch, our heads are covered, the mellow pillows worn, chalk soft and blue. The morning of another, you, is just a color as we become the sun's edgemost lament, the brow of our atmosphere, the countenance of twilight. Silver in our eyes, the night toad in the pond at the edge of what's said is draped in sapphire furnishings. Past our final plea, its opal body calls the pond by nothing we know, by its own. The pond on the black of sense ripples gently across its water. The toad, moon-ridden, extends our imperfect penance, the nearness of death, felt sky in our throats. Us lovers kiss, unkiss, and kiss our chests a chatter scream of birds, a nested cross upended and blue as Mary in the earth. Our eyelids stammer Eucharist, the blood of crime on your body, a naked rain upon your roof, a night rinse run to gutter. Our speech is slit in keepless breath, in woundedness, in silence. We hold a gape and whisper thin, a violet's face is love devouring. We hold its petals to our lips. It breezes, nearly faithless. Our fingers bulk, the incense flutter, a blur impressed within the dark. Thank you. Realize both of those poems come back to dark and silence. Like that's my, it's like the ground, you know. Like poetry should always come out of silence and return to silence in some way. Maybe not explicitly. I don't have to mention dark and silence every time, but it's a, it's a space I just adore. Okay, this next poem is a little bit longer, but a little bit more prosaic. Um, I'm dealing with similar themes here. You laugh it off through your braids and your glasses. Every rhubarb in your garden is dug up from a neighbor's. A sister love, your fibbers grin. You say there's still joy in the showy rose with no remarkable scent. A trickster, ha, its nose place still beckons. And here I am, thinking like a coal stove, exactly what I am supposed to over a lover glove. I hear your laughter and your fear cold. Sheets of us and blankets cotton batting, 
you fall asleep, speaking of porcupine forest, and wake dreaming you are a priest, without a sermon in the wings. Life resembles you, and in the verses you reinvent. Consider the lilies of the valley with all your heart. Do not cling to them. The God of smile trembles, the God of Jesus weeps, the God of happiness and grief. A death-like beauty, your funny shoes forgotten by the bedroom door. Once, my mother kissed my forehead before a nightmare. I asked her, why aren't we close? I told her, I didn't ask to be born. Another embrace, another new touch, and a similar pain before I wander into a cloak of thunder and slate, an ancient mountain, a cliff I fall from, or someone I love, the crescent shape of the back resigning to death as the bags beneath my eyes in the mirror again. In the depth of their vessels cross-hatching, they're counting, you said, to a thousand empty kisses, over and over our place in infinity. As often as shells on the shore, little girls each screams, joyous in their cold water retreat. The sand we walk is shifting, our downcast gaze, our cranial tipping, our rings clinking at the loose berries in your handbag. The circumference of the earth won't steady me today. Rotten blueberry bay, the devil's ditch water, you snigger. You're playing a game with names, and the sea lion bobs and surf with eyes like long-tongued dogs, like costume daughters, beloved, like it's easy, this faith. My God is this living. Thank you. All right, before my final poem, I want to say thank you to Tessie, and of course to Storyport in general. Hannah and Ryan for helping us out. Thank you so much. And please do stick around for the undergraduate reading. It's coming up at 6. And they turn out and bring a crowd, and it's always a lot of fun. So please do stick around if you can. All right, this last one is for food. And I'm so hungry. I thought there would be food for dinner, and I just didn't get it today. <laughs> That's OK. Here it is. We smell zucchini bread again, a bed of love and cinnamon prayer. Our simple lips, a work of grace. How proud I am to cut a thick slice, to watch it steam on the saucer for us. A heaven ingested changes me. You want the world to be different? Serve me peaches and ice cream. Settle in beside me, spoons clinking. In the morning, my dish will be empty. You will be gone. I'll want for nothing. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Joe Davidson. I'm the assistant director of Storyport Fest. Uh, and I just want to say thank you all for being here. This is an event that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, when I first started at Storyboard, I was an undergrad, and I got the opportunity to start the undergrad, well, not start, but take on the uh, undergrad reading. And we've always wanted it to be put on by undergrads, judged by undergrads, celebrate 
all of our wonderful young aspiring writers in town. I was super blessed to have met uh, Ryan and Hannah, who are two of the most awesome storyboard assistants that we've ever been blessed with. They are wonderful, they're undergrads. Yeah, snap for So uh, I'm gonna get out of the way, I just wanna do a quick introduction. That's Ryan, uh, I'm pretty sure he at one point was a walrus or lived in a walrus colony. I haven't gotten that story yet, you can ask him. And we have Hannah, who is a professional tap dancer, really good at screaming and does some poetry sometimes. But give him a huge round of applause. Hello, we are gonna be your co-hosts for this second edition of the undergrad reading. On to the real goodies. Our first genre that is gonna be reading is our fiction genre. And our first artist will be Katie Dondrea. Katie is a student of interdisciplinary studies at BSU, her three emphases being English, environmental studies, and the narrative arts. This choice reveals the Katie's inability to make decisions so she won't be the one to choose where to go get a drink or which road to sit at at the flicks. Loyal to nonfiction, Katie has recently dabbled within fiction, which you will hear today. Sorry, sometimes words may answer. She asks you to bear with her as she pokes the beast of fiction, and perhaps after the reading, you and her can share a PBR or seven and make some mores with that long stick. Please welcome the absolutely not nervous and not uh, sweaty armpitted, that's the word, Katie Dondrea. Sweat-soaked spots of visible skin and began to seep through my synthetic Viking onesie. 
The driver cranked his window down and through the cloud of dissipating dust and in the driver's seat, a a middle-aged man sits with a persona that I must say I was not expecting to see in this part of the South. But then again, it is Arkansas and I am just a lowly transplant from Idaho. What do I know? He wears a floral shawl, chunky earrings that dangle dangerously close to his shoulders, and what I recognize is a full face of makeup with a fresh coat of lipstick, resembling a glossy orange creamsicle left out in the sun just long enough to start to melt. <clears throat> Have a flat home? The man shouted. I do! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you! I exclaimed. I could have hugged this man. I was so overwhelmed that I may have come across a bit too eager, but I could give less of a shit. I was being picked up by my guardian angel in an F-150. Now worries, go ahead and pop your bike in the back. Don't mind anything back there, hun. You need a hand? I got it, and I lift the bike into the back of his truck. While I was back there, I saw that the bed held an odd assortment of bins that looked like they donned vibrantly colored wigs, tutus, and more chunky jewelry. So I hopped into the front seat. Well, hun, you are quite dirty. Need a makeup wipe? I'm a bit of a novice drag queen, so I've got a few packs in the glove compartment. Help yourself. Wow, that's super cool. Thanks so much. I let him know where my car was parked and then had a few normal remarks about the humid weather as I tried and failed to wipe myself clean. He was quite funny and I realized how much I needed the company. We both kept our eyes on the rolling hills ahead of us, glancing occasionally at each other when felt socially appropriate. So, hun, real talk. Have you heard about Grundy's? No, I'm pretty new to the area, so I haven't. Oh, where, where are you from? I'm from Idaho. Oh, yes, you are Idaho, girlfriend. Well, anyways, back to Grundy's. <laughs> it's one of them pale food stores, all local, by the way, owned by two gays, two close friends of mine. They trying to shut her down, exchange her with an Albertson, some dump of an overpriced soulless grunge shithole, probably owned by them suit wearing thumb up their right own ass, trying to hit their own male clit heterosexuals. <laughs> You'll have to excuse my French, darling. I just have some strong opinions about the matter, that's all. Oh, you're totally fine. That sounds awful. Albertsons took over Idaho, too. So expensive. In my strong opinion, I'm with you. Corporations are the worst. All right, I was a little hesitant, but I think you're one of the good ones. Your accent ain't Arkansas enough, but I like you, girl. I feel like I want to call you exclamation point. You sure do sound like one, that's for sure. Oh gosh, thanks, I think anyways, he begins. There's a rally, a protest, hold the sign kind of and yell kind of dealio if you're keen. We're setting out to do a bit of dancing and maybe something more. It's before you get to your car, so it's not too far from here. If you ain't vibing, we can drive you to your car immediately, no question about it, exclamation point. I looked down at my dirt cake self and twisted the dirty ball of makeup wipes in my hands. Sure, I shout enthusiastically, confirming the validity of my new nickname. Stick it to the man, I add, as this man with orange lipstick takes his hands off the wheel momentarily, claps excitedly, turns up the radio, and swirls his long earrings around his neck to the beat of dreams by Fleetwood Mac. All right, hon, you ever heard of an orgy flash mob? Okay, and then this is from the point of view of the F-150 guy telling his aunt about his day on the phone, only one side of the conversation. Suze, hi, would you just believe the afternoon I just had? You ready? Oh, uh, I'm glad you're doing well, too. Tomatoes in your garden? I had no clue. Good for you, sugar, Suze. All right, so 
I was driving down the way right. You already probably know it took Grundy's to see my two favorite married mans, Jim and Radley. They own the local health food store, you know. Grundy's, one of them granola ones. Anyways, you heard they're trying to replace the granola gays with them suit wearing thumb up they own ass heterosoulist corporate folk. Yes, Sue's good job winning Albertsons. Who knew you was pretty and smart? Best quit your interrupting so I can finish my story. Well, I was just on my way down to the little dance and kiss and protest with my bedazzled sign in tow, and I see this little old lassie standing on the side of the road, all sad and awful dirty with a bike. Looked almost like a raisin in the sun. But yes, Sue's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the play. Yeah, I, I do remember the time we saw the play in '92. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes, Aunt Susie, I love her too. Great play, not the point. Anyway, it was them ginormous eyes I could see from a mile away. I swear them eyes belong on a little puppy dog, that's for sure. All right, I'm getting to it, Susie. You know I tend to ramble. Anyway, I pull over, right? Getting the poor thing even more dirty. And when I roll down my window, she looks like I just signed some adoption papers and we're about to head home for the first time to go eat Aunt Susie's world-famous lasagna. Yeah, yeah, Susie, I'm talking about you, dear. I just thought I'd throw her in there. What, 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 you gotta go? What, what, lasagna? Now? But I ain't even done with my story. I, I called to tell you about my day. Uh, all, right, all right, I give up. You go make it. Save some for your nephew, all right. All right, give Uncle Bill my best. Okay, love you too, sugar, Susie. Bye now. Okay, and this is from the point of view of the county sheriff speaking into his radio, also one side of the conversation. And when I go, that's like static from the radio. Just so you're like, what is she doing? Okay. What is this? My radio? Bill. Bill, Bill, did you copy? Bill. Bill, Dick, 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 did you copy? Gail, how you doing today, Bill? That's a hot one. Don't mind me, just trying to be neighborly. Okay, okay. So the report begins right out in front of Grundy's. Yeah, well, there are about six people, and they're all wearing uh, wigs, uh, colorful ones, and kind of like tutu things, girly stuff. Most of them are definitely men, unless an unfortunate woman has a beard of the size of triplets and a beard. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I'm getting to it. Sheesh, someone needs a Twix or a Snickers or something. I don't know, whatever the commercial tells you. I forget, but well, don't hold it against me. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. Ruin all the fun. <sighs> okay, so they were. So first, they were all holding signs, dancing real provocatively, and then all kind of random in front of Grundy's. Yeah, you heard me. They were doing some stripper moves in front of the hippie grocery store. Definitely a man-on-man -man kind of situation, if you ask me. Must be illegal somewhere. Not here, I guess. So, I don't know how it should be. Am I allowed to say that? Maybe not. I, I guess we love gay people. Uh, queers? No, 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 wait, lesbians. Uh, no, 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 that's, that's not right. Oh, like, you know what I mean, Bill. Those folks, we love them in Arkansas, I reckon. Okay, back to the store before I get myself in trouble. Then, all of a sudden, they started doing an actual flash mob, Bill. An actual dancing one. It was real good, Bill. Only five of them knew what was going on, and the sixth was a young, dirty gal who looked like she rolled a cow, but she just kind of stood there and all. I was right there with her. They were great dancers, Bill. I couldn't help it. <sighs> For 
say, Bill, my job is to provide the details, okay? Sheesh, let me have my moment. <clears throat> so then, they were, when they were all done dancing together to a Stevie Ricks song about how thunders only happen when it's raining, then Bill, oh, Bill, you just wait. Then they all started laughing lips with each other, kissing everyone, all five of them. It was like a big, fat orgy, Bill. I had no clue what to do, neither did the poop girl. We're just standing there with the many wigs fully dressed in their early clothes, and they'd be kissing and groping each other. Oh, how could I forget the dog? The little guy was going ballistic the whole time, getting all up in the crotches of these wig men from time to time. It was bonkers. Hello, Bill. Did you copy? Bill, Bill, come back. It's, it's all part of the flash mob, Bill. It choreographed everything. Poop girl ended up doing music and throwing glitter about the way like a stagehand. The bearded pregnant man did a cartwheel. More kissing, more dancing. It was honestly real great, Bill. Them lesbians really know what they're doing. Could have been a Broadway musical had that darn dog not been barking all the time. Bill? Oh, fucking Lord. What's a man got to do to earn some respect around here in this town? Oh, really, Bill? Is that how you really feel? Because that's awful rude of you to say. Okay, so where was I? Ah, the orgy part. So here I was. Okay, and this is from the point of view of the dog during the flash mob. <laughs> saying I wrote this poem originally in high school and 
It has changed a lot, and this is just one iteration of it, kind of changed as the poems change, kind of as your feelings change about things over the years. Um, and also, finally, that um, this is kind of just one narrative about sexual assault that exists within a very large archive of those experiences. This is called Letter to the Girl My Friend Swears He Did Not Rape. One, high school party, boy, drunk, lying on the living room floor talking to strangers, girl, throwing away empty cans in the kitchen, then tipsy trapezing towards the arm of the couch where she sits to ask boy, do you want to come upstairs with me? The party goes on. Boy and girl stammer up the staircase together, passing boy's friend slash wingman slash henchman. Girl says, I'm really drunk. Boy's friend laughs, replies, have fun. He means good thing. Enter bedroom, boy and girl. Two, confession. On the car ride to my house, his fingertips traced over my wrist. And I thought of last June when he asked to kiss me. I told him yes. He asked again, yes again. I told my friends I was glad he asked. Now he's in my bedroom telling me about her bedroom. He's drunk tonight too, just like he was that night. He cries into his knees, telling how his friends hate him. And then those words, I am not a rapist but I know I did something wrong. And he looked like a boy when he said it. He looked like he wanted me to hold him, to press his head firmly to my maternal chest and say you didn't do anything wrong, even though he just confessed. And part of me wanted to. Part of me wanted to comfort him because he was my friend and because he was in my bedroom, and because he was drunk. But do I want to, or am I just afraid? Instead, I give him a chapbook from my shelf called Learning Good Consent. He shuffles the pages, crimps them with drunk tears, tells me thank you. He doesn't tell me what happened. I don't need to know the whole story. And besides, it would only be his version. Three, girl. I wonder what the color of the shirt you wore that day was. What style, where you got it, if it used to make you feel sexy, if you'll ever wear it again, if you hate it half as much as you hate yourself now. I know how that feels. I wonder what you did in the morning did you take a shower, stare at a blank wall, call your mom? When your mom leaves you home alone now, do you stay with a friend instead? Do you still call it home after he took from you in the same room where you played classroom with stuffed animals and Barbie dolls, pink childhood paint chipping away, the weight of premature womanhood cracking the framework? Do you too sometimes wonder if womanhood is synonymous with victimhood? Or reconciliation. He didn't tell me what actually happened. I don't know any of the answers, but here's what I do know. 
He did something wrong. He told me those words himself. That's enough for me. No coddling, no enabling, no excuses. Five, alternate ending. Boy drunk, lying on the living room floor, talking to strangers. Girl throwing away empty cans in the kitchen and tipsy trapezing towards the arm of the couch where she sits to ask boy, do you want to come upstairs with me? The party goes on. Boy and girl stammer up the staircase together, passing boy's friend. Girl says, I'm really drunk. Friend helps boy back down the stairs, puts him to sleep on the couch. Enter bedroom. Girl, it is her bedroom. After all, this poem never gets written. Thank you. Roughly seven years to replace every single cell. That means that as I write this letter back to you, 
I do not have a single cell that was present for the writing of your initial letter, the one that was assigned for our seventh grade English class. Write a letter to your future self. There is not a single shared plank of wood between us, so I suppose that I'm writing to you, big Katie to little Katie, as a complete stranger. How odd is that? Your letter is funny, and to be perfectly honest, I think you missed the mark on the assignment just a little bit. The letter was meant to incentivize you to do well in school, to graduate and go to college, to visualize attainable career goals, but at 12 years old, you were dreamy and idealistic and insecure, and you wrote to me that you wanted to be an actress. You wanted to move away from home. You wrote about wanting to be pretty and cool and loved, but there's so much that you didn't write to me about, things that you left out because you hoped by ignoring them, they would simply cease to exist. I strangely feel that I should apologize to you, but I can't bring myself to do so. Rather, let's call this letter a confession. I have done many things that we promised ourselves we would never do. Things you didn't write to me about. And I don't regret any of it. Right now, you think your self-worth is determined by male approval. Do boys think you're pretty? Do you meet every beauty standard that you're already acutely aware of at just 12 years old? Am I embarrassed? I am embarrassed to admit that I often wonder if you would think I am pretty. I cut off our long hair when I turned 20, and I have two tattoos. You worry that your long hair is the primary thing that makes you feminine, and you worry that tattoos won't look good against your freckled skin. You think that beauty is the most valuable currency you have to offer the world, a currency that you'll never have enough of. It's a currency that I'm trying to let go of. I hope you don't mind, but I have decided to make peace with the parts of ourselves that you're currently trying to bury. You wrote to me in 2012, three years before the U.S. legalized marriage equality. But you didn't write to me about how gay was whispered like a square word in school hallways, or how you're trying to kill the butterflies that swarm your tiny stomach when you make eye contact with the pretty girl in your English class. But I remember. The guilt that slid throughout your body like a lethal pesticide is still being flushed from our system. How did we carry so much on your shoulders? What was that book that you read? The one about a girl whose parents had her therapy for being attracted to other girls? It was a small subplot from what I recall, a blip in a larger story. But I don't remember anything else about that book. I just remember how you read that chapter over and over again. I remember how you would lay awake at night, convinced that mom or your best friend thought that you were gay, convinced that they talked to other people about it when you weren't around, convinced that they judged you. Well, fortunately, I have one lovely bit of wisdom for you. Stop worrying that everyone thinks you're gay. They don't, and you are. <laughs> but that is very thing that you want to hear right now, of course, which is perfectly fine. 12 years is not very many, and you aren't sure what to make of boys and girls and love and heartbreak. Sometimes it's hard to think about you. You're so unsure of yourself. You think that many of your relationships are flimsy enough to be affected by your sexuality, when in reality, the people in your life love you for who you are, not for who you love. You think that your worth and your beauty are defined by external forces. When you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself. You see all the things other people want you to be. Things get more confusing before they get easier. You'll start drinking with friends and kiss girls that don't feel anything romantic towards them anymore. You'll pretend that you don't feel anything either. You'll date boys that you love and even confide in them about being attracted to women, only to be confused when they don't get jealous of women the way they get jealous of men. At times, you won't feel straight enough for men, and you won't feel gay enough for women. I won't pretend I have this all figured out, but I've accepted that we don't need to. On June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court legalized marriage equality, three days after our 15th birthday. At that time, you're dating our first boyfriend, and it feels easy to imagine that we can coast through life without ever addressing the feelings that you suppress. But you wake up and see the news alert on your phone of a 5-4 decision early in favor of marriage equality, and to your surprise, you cry. By one vote, 
there's a chance that your future might look very different, that you might be lucky enough to choose who you want to love. I write to you from almost seven years after that decision, and I want to tell you that things are better now, that everything's okay. And for the most part, things are so much better now. When we kiss women, their faces are soft and their lips are warm. When you share a grapefruit with them in the morning, you'll ask them to lift the extra sugar from their fingers and you'll look for nothing else all day. When you tell them that they're beautiful, you mean it. And when they tell you that they love you, it sounds like a prayer. But when you go on road trips with your partner, you won't hold hands in small towns. One of you will sit in the car while the other pumps the gas. And when people want to hurt you, they can call you dead. And when men at bars don't take no for an answer, you tell them that you're a boyfriend. Your love is commercialized when it's convenient. It's sold at Walmart with rainbow packaging, while the profits fund is great campaign donations. It's a double-edged PR stunt. Somewhere in Florida, after a long day of saving the world from a homosexual agenda, a lawmaker goes home and watches lesbian porn. This is complex. There is so much love and so much fear, so much laughter and joy and frustration. I describe this to you in its totality. The good with the bad, because to omit anything would be to rob you of the indescribable beauty of the life that you're finally letting yourself live. To sugarcoat any of this, to write as if I had a responsibility to convince you to accept yourself, would be to imply that we ever had a say in the matter. You're going to have to face the music eventually, inevitably. All ships we can home, one form or another. And you're lucky, you know. When I came out, we were at the love and acceptance and just attended it, and huge Mom gave you a rainbow wall hanging for Christmas, and when Dad asks you to visit him, he keeps on some articles about gay bars in Arizona. <laughs> Sometimes Kelly takes time to go at three in the morning to call you her gay best friend, and your father Brian will grow up in a more accepting environment. But I'm trying to say this is who you are. You are someone who loves, and you're loved in return. I have decided what I think of the ship of Theseus. It is, of course, an entirely different ship when it's out of sea, with no past to speak of and no anchor to throw out. No one on board to discuss past voyages and ancient goals. However, upon returning home, I like to believe that there are still people waiting at the port, ready to throw up their arms and welcome her home. Our identity is not ours alone to carry. Those who love us and wait for us will always keep a part of us preserved, ready to be reawoken upon our return. Perhaps the ship is more difficult to recognize. Perhaps each member of the crew has an entirely new body of cells. But I think someone must be waiting for that ship nonetheless. Ready to catch a docking line and walk it to shore. We are still the same ship, no matter how different you and I may seem. The length of our hair, the tattoos on our skin, the hand entwined in our own, has never defined us after all. You have already spent so long at sea, convinced that you cannot allow yourself to be the person you're becoming. But you'll come home one day, amazed to find that the people who matter not only recognize you, but that they have been waiting for you all this time. And that is love. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed listening to some of that fiction and poetry and nonfiction. It's always nice to have a selection and variation. Now we just have a few people to say a big thank you to. First of all, we want to say a big thank you to all the readers in this episode and all the MFA and undergrad students who were able to attend and read at this. Katie D'Andrea, Katie Lotz, Lillian Jenner, Meredith Higgins, Ryan Marsh for hosting, Hannah Cook for hosting, Tessie Ward for hosting. Thank you so much. You make stuff happen. We love it. We appreciate it. We're here for it. Thank you. And then we also want to thank Brett Battistain, whose hosting platform called Eavesdrop hosts our podcast so that you can find it on all places online, whether that's 
Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also like to say a huge thank you to Jared Bostrom for editing this podcast. I edited this episode and last week's episode and sort of co-edited previous episodes, but Jared has been the OG podcast editor. So big shout out to Jared for that and also for passing on his knowledge and wisdom on editing to me. I appreciate it. And finally, if you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on the Facebook group Story Forward or you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at story.forward. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you also enjoyed listening to all those fantastic readers and writers. And maybe we'll catch you at the MFA showcase and the undergrad showcase at Next Story Fort in 2023. And in the classic style of Larry and Christian, I have to make sure that I tell you to keep the story moving forward and advance the narrative.